Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, guess there was a bit of news yesterday that needs to be discussed. Of course, I'm referring to the trade for James Harden kind of put the whole Kyrie Irving absence on the back burner, at least for now. Anyway, this was always meant to be a special show. Of course, you know, the Nets just beat the Knicks. And to commemorate that event, my good friend John Schmelk, host of WFN.com's The Bank Shot, will be joining me shortly for a special City Game Bank Shot crossover. Show will be talking about Harden, Kyrie, and the awesomeness that is Kevin Durant. So why don't we get started with that, and then I'll get into more about the Harden trade and its consequences, plus talk about other issues around the Nets with the help of clips I got earlier this week on the Nets Zoom sessions with the media. So let's bring in my chat with my old partner, WFN's John Schmelk. Now, I did some editing to cut down on our time talking about the Knicks, which I thought you listeners might not find so fascinating. So first, my apologies if any part sounds choppy. And also, if you do want the full boat, you can listen to John's Bank Shot podcast also on WFN.com and Radio.com. So here's the official City Game Bank Shot crossover event. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special crossover podcast. It's the City Game Podcast and the Bank Shop, my Knicks podcast. John Schmelk 
joined by good friend, former partner in crime, Steve Lichtenstein. Steve, good to be with you, my friend. We had planned this ahead of time with the Knicks taking on the Nets on Wednesday night. And now we get the bonus of talking about what I can't imagine is not going to be the biggest trade in the NBA this year. How about that? How you doing, bud? Yeah, I didn't do much of anything today, right? No, what a crazy day. Uh, obviously, James Harden coming to Brooklyn uh, was a bit shocking. And we can get into it right away if you think that's the biggest story. Bigger than the Nets win over the Knicks tonight? You know, that's not the biggest st- – that's not going to get the back page? Well, unfortunately, Knicks losing is once again starting to become commonplace, Steve. So <laughs> I think it's par for the course. And then Kevin Durant is really awesome, which should surprise nobody. Uh, but for, before we get into it, I should remind everybody, Steve, you can find both the City Game podcast, which features Steve talking a lot of Nets basketball, and the Bank Shot, my Knicks podcast, we feature a lot of Knicks talk. On WFN.com, radio.com, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure if you're on Apple Podcasts, you find us, subscribe, and leave a five-star positive review if you like what you hear. Yes, Steve, I mean, I I guess you can't be caught by surprise by the trade. You knew that was Durant's preference. The only other place that really made sense was Philly, but it seemed Harden really wanted the Nets. I honestly wasn't sure that even after – Harden did his walk-off podium deal the other night that the Nets were going to pony up as much as they did to get this trade done. Did that surprise you a little bit? Uh, It surprised me that he didn't go to Philly. I really thought all along that Daryl Morey wanted to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. And from what I understand, ownership did not want that. They still think that Simmons and Joel Embiid can work together and then apparently, according to other reporters, the deal kind of fell apart on the ancillary pieces, like Houston wanted Maxi and Tybal. And, you know, instead of instead of that, when Philadelphia wasn't included that, they wanted the Nets picks. Now, getting seven years of picks and swaps, you know, that that's a bit of a haul. And, uh, you know, it's it's a very high risk maneuver for Brooklyn. Yeah. And the Nets basically surrender Four first-rounders, right? And then four swaps? No, one of the first-rounders is a Milwaukee 2022 pick that one of the other teams sent. Oh, okay. Three of their own firsts and four swaps. Yeah. For some reason, I I thought the Nets controlled that Milwaukee pick, but that came from someone else. Okay, that makes sense. So, And the problem is, is that they're all unprotected. Right, I saw that. I know. I mean, that's the lesson that they should have learned from 2013 that, you know, you don't know where you're going to be in 2027 or, you know, 2026. Oh my God, we're talking about 2027. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm with you. And honestly, the reason I always thought it might not have happened with Philly is that I figured Houston would want not just Ben Simmons, but also a bunch of stuff in addition to that. And frankly, if I'm Houston, it's not equal value Ben Simmons for James Harden, but it's close enough given their age difference and the contract situation. So that didn't surprise me that much. And because Steve to me, and this is what it boils down to for, you know, to me for this trade, and then you can take it and go on your rant as to whether or not you like it or hate it. I want to get your take. Here's how I look at it. The Nets weakness was defense and rebounding, right? So, they go and trade a bunch of their players and basically their whole future for a guy that does neither of those two things. And I don't think anyone thought offense would be a problem with the nets 
with the team that they had. Now, that's assuming Kyrie Irving arrives back from Mars okay, and he gets the space cadet helmet off, and he's good to go. But I don't think anyone thought that with those two guys and Karis LeVert and Joe Harris, that the Nets would have trouble scoring. That, that was never an issue. And even as it is, now at the end of games, given Harden's history in the playoffs, who do you want with the ball in his hands? James Harden, Kyrie Irving, or Kevin Durant? I'll oh, tell you uh, Kevin, Kevin Durant. I can answer yeah. that one for you. Kevin. Exactly. It, it's an easy answer. So I'm not trying to downplay Harden's ability. He's a great player, probably the best one-on-one player there might be in the whole league in terms of just scoring efficiency, what he can do with the step back and all that stuff. But maybe the team has a, like a 10% better chance of winning a title. Maybe. I mean, they might have less of a chance because of all the pieces they traded. I don't know. And for that to trade everything they did, uh, it just feels to me like it's something they're going to regret. Well, a couple of points. One, the ones that you hit on the head were, you know, Sean Marks did not sit down with the ownership and said, you know what? We need more scoring. You know, and what the trade did, not only didn't it help where they're weak in, you know, the defensive rebounding, it amplified it. You know, they are, they're going to be worse in those areas. But the second part, you know, what does it tell you that Houston did not want any of those Nets assets? The only player they kept was Rodion's Karutz because he's on a, a rookie second round contract. You know, it's, it's guaranteed, I think, for maybe one more year, but, you know, at a low salary. So they didn't want Karis LeVert. They didn't want Jared Allen. They didn't want Torian Prince. They all went elsewhere. So the, the, what Houston wanted was the picks. And because the Nets gave them those picks, that's why they won the auction. So uh, the, the fact that Karis LeVert is gone or – Jared Allen is gone. Torian Prince is gone. You know, that, that won't hurt the Nets down the road as much as losing all those picks. They gotta, they have to win now. Otherwise, this trade will go down just as poorly as the 2013 trade for Garnett and Pierce. Now, in fairness, Steve, Levert did have value, though. I mean, they got Victor Oladipo for him in, in, in when they got added into the trade. Yeah. So, Clearly, he had value. Maybe Houston didn't want him in the end, but they still turned him into a pretty darn good player. I know all of on an expiring contract, and, but that's value right there, right? And when you see that that trade went down, you wonder, you know, if they needed a third star and a guy who could score, why don't you just trade Levert for Oladipo and keep the picks? I mean, you got Harden, you know, is a much, much, much better scorer, but, you know, Oladipo, you know, he's coming back to his all-star form lately. And Steve, he can defend. Yes. people would have immediately been their best perimeter defender. I'm with you. To me, that's a better fit. Yeah. And uh, it, again, it seems to be something that Kevin Durant wanted push to ownership. This is not what Sean Marks, you know, it's not out of his playbook. Let's put it that way. You know, he always talked about, you know, I, I have a column coming out, so I guess I'll tease what I wrote. You know, he always talked about culture. Well, Kevin Harden, if you read, read that report in The Athletic, he used to tell the Houston Rockets when they could travel. You know, he'd be late for film sessions, and that really bothered Russell Westbrook. That's why Westbrook wanted out of there. Yep, I read that so story. There, there's the culture. Story. He always preached flexibility. You know, now you don't have any picks to trade. You're up against the luxury tax, so you have no flexibility. So all the things that Sean Marks talked about probably – 
not even two months ago, he had a press conference in November, I guess, before the season. He talked about, you know, not mortgaging the future, wanting to maintain flexibility, you know, keep preaching culture. Well, he just threw all of that out the window. But if they win a title, he'll be hailed. If they don't, you know, again, it's it's not it's not going to be pretty in Brooklyn, you know, maybe even three years from now. Yeah, and you got to wonder. I have faith that Kevin Durant's going to be fine. You know, he's going to figure out a way to, you know, coexist with James Harden and Kyrie Irving the same way he did in Golden State. He can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. I have no concerns about Kevin Durant. I do have concerns about how those two knuckleheads or space cadets, whatever you want to call them, Kyrie Irving and James Harden are going to interact and play and deal with each other. I just feel like both guys have such unique personalities. I wonder how that's going to mesh, given that they're also both ball-dominant players. Well, I, the only thing I could say to that is, well, there's a couple of things. The, there's a report out there that said Irving and Durant together met with Harden before the season and wanted this done. That's why Harden has been pining for Brooklyn from a distance and causing all kinds of problems to get out of Houston. He wanted, they wanted him to come to Brooklyn. Harden wanted to come to Brooklyn. So Kyrie apparently is on board. Now he's got his own issues. So I don't know when he's coming back, if he's coming back. You, you know who uh, Corey Crawford is? He was a goaltender who devil signed. You know, he, re- he had the same type of, sit- I won't say the same type of situation, but he had you know a couple of maintenance days, then he had some personal days, and then he retired. I mean, we don't know what what Kyrie Irving is thinking right now because the Nets haven't told us, and he hasn't told us. You know, he has a PR firm apparently, but you know they're not doing any relations with the public, so we don't know where Kyrie's head's at, when he's coming back, or even if he's coming back. Now, people seem to think he is, but. Maybe Harden is insurance in case Kyrie has issues. I mean, we don't know. Is there any idea where he's been and what he's doing besides apparently getting filmed with the mat with a mask not on at his sister's birthday party? I mean, does no, anyone have any idea here? No. The, the The problem is again, we don't. We haven't had a. We haven't had a clue. We've only had speculation. Um, you know, the only thing people are saying is that he seems to be really upset about what's going on in the world around him. And that is consistent with, you know, how he views the world. I mean, during the bubble or right before the bubble, he was one of the leading voices that questioned whether it was appropriate in the wake of all of the social injustice, you know, if it was appropriate to go back, he also talked about, you know, black ownership of the sport, whether the players should eventually take over the league and, and become the, their own owners. So, I mean, he, these are things he thinks about. And, you know, he has his charitable endeavors. He funded WNBA players who did not participate in the bubble. Um, he, he definitely was involved in the community during the COVID crisis, especially during the summer. So, you know, he thinks a lot about things outside of basketball, whether that is what is causing his problems now or the reason for his absence. We don't know because they don't tell us. 
Yeah, look, I'm not I'm not going to go there. He the guy can do whatever he wants, but it must be nice to live in a world where if outside things are bothering you, you can just say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do my job for a while and they'll have to pay me and I'll just not show up and I can come back whenever I want. That must be a hell of a life to live because I don't know 99% of the other people on the planet can't do that. Well, there, you know, yes, that is correct. But, uh, you know, you, we just saw what happened with James Harden when he didn't get his way. He he kind of orchestrated his own exit and oh, I get it. problems with the team. So if you're not in hundred percent invested in what's going on on the court and with your teammates, maybe it is best that you take some time to get it all figured out, but we don't know. Again, we don't know. Yeah, we don't. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I guess the other question I'll have Steve, and this, I guess somewhat relates back to the Knicks just a little bit. How do you think the Nets now go about, trying to add pieces to the team if they do need some help in certain areas. Is this a deal where now maybe they'll try to find a team that values Dimwitty's bird rights and move him for a support player that can support their three superstars? Or now is Dimwitty a guy that you have to bring back next year because you don't have Levert? But again, he's a ball-dominant guy, and you have these other guys that all need the ball. So how do you think they handle Dimwitty and – as you mentioned, they don't have really any flexibility now because they have no first-round picks to trade for eight years. So how do you think the Nets now go about this if they do need to try to add some reinforcements or round out a roster to make it a little bit more even offense, defense, and things like that? Well, they do have a couple of things. They, you know, they can sign free agents off the street. They have the mid-level exception. Uh, they, I believe they have also applied for the – uh, disabled player exception for Dinwiddie. I don't know what happens to that if they trade him. Um, I believe that's half his salary, which is about $5.7 million uh, that they can use to sign a free agent off the street. I also think now that they have Harden, they'll be a much bigger player in the buyout market in case uh, the Knicks want to buy out Julius Randle or something. <laughs> I was honestly the way Julius Randle's playing. See if they're going to pick up his option for next year. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm joking, but uh, <laughs> but they haven't they haven't been successful in getting the ring chasers. The only one they got was Jeff Green, uh, who's a good player. But you can't have you know, Nerlens Noel if you want him. By the way, you like him? No. Yeah. I, I <laughs> How about Alfred Payton? Do you, do you want Elf? No. <laughs> I mean, my goodness! Thank God the Knicks can't shoot. Yeah, a lot of open shots, and and this is a, a, a barely hidden or perhaps a, a poorly hidden secret that a lot of casual Nick fan viewers haven't didn't really notice, though I think they're noticing it now. The reason the Knicks started the way they did at 5-3, and three, they were basically outscoring opponents from behind the three-point line by like 15 points a game, and all of a sudden their three-point shooting crashed. The other team's three-point shooting finally picked up towards league average. They were leading the league in opponent three-point percentage defense, Trust me, Steve, they were like second in the league in wide open three-pointers allowed. <laughs> it had nothing to do with their defense. Guys were just missing shots. And I think you saw what happened tonight when the Nets were hitting some of those shots, how quickly the game got out of hand. Yeah, well, I think uh, that's, that's probably going to bother Tom uh, Thibodeau more than, uh, than the lack of the offense. I think the defense was disappointing tonight, uh, if you want to segue into talking about that. But I think – that's going to definitely bother him the way that they did not contest some of the Nets' good shooters like Joe Harris or Landry Shamit. Shamit's been off until tonight, but 
He hit a couple of big ones. Uh, and obviously, you, you just can't give Kevin, Dur- Garnt, or Kevin, Dur- Kevin Durant any space. No, you can. And he was getting way too much space. And it's one of the issues the Knicks have, right? Like, who's their perimeter defender that's going to guard Kevin Durant? Again, not that any team has guys that can guard Kevin Durant well. He's simply too good. But Julius Randle and Kevin Durant's a bad idea. R.J. Barrett, I guess he was their best option, but uh, not sure I love that. I mean, they tried Kevin Knox on him. Lord knows that's not going to work. So, you know, they put Austin Rivers on him once, and Kevin Durant is like, all right, just give me the ball in the post, and I'm going to go to work here. So they really don't have that that great guy to put on him. Alec Burks is out. Reggie Bullock is out. Those are two guys I think that they could uh, put on him as veterans that would do a halfway decent job. But, yeah, I mean, when – the, the Knicks have a couple problems, Steve, and, I, and I'd like to get your take on them from, from watching them in this game. I know you're not watching them every night, obviously, and nor you should. But what Tom Thibodeau is going to have to decide here is how important is shooting to him? Is it going to get to the point here where he's going to have to sacrifice other things just to get shooting on the floor? Because if you throw out a starting lineup that features Julius Randle, who's been great, and his jumper's better, with... Mitchell Robinson, who can't shoot a lick. Alfred Payton, who can't shoot a lick. R.J. Barrett, who can't shoot a lick outside of 15 feet. And then, you know, either Austin Rivers or Reggie Bullock or one of those guys who's an okay shooter. Not great, but an okay shooter. It's going to be really hard to score points. And by the way, it's going to be impossible for Julius Randle to have space to play his brand of basketball. So uh, that's something to me is something they're going to have to figure out. What was your take watching the Knicks against the Nets this year, a team that has allowed just a billion points in so many games? Yeah, I think they'd missed Bullock tonight more than any other games. Uh, I know Burks has been out, and he had been shooting pretty well before his injury. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, Thibodeau is going to value guys who play hard. Let me put it that way. I won't say defend. So I think that's why he's running Barrett out there for 40 minutes a game. I think he likes the way – He's playing hard, even if he's not producing at an efficient clip. Um, me, personally, I always told you I always worried about him, but other people are telling me that I'm wrong. So, I'll, I, you know, and I don't watch the Knicks enough. Who, Barrett or Thibodeau are you talking about? Barrett. Yeah. Thibodeau, I, I think I'm that was – I'm the, the, the Thibodeau, I think, was a great hire. Look, people hate that he's running Randall for 40 minutes a game. Well, you saw what happened when he's out of the game. They can't score at all. So he he wants to win games. He's if you want him to tank, he was the wrong coach. But you know if you want him to get his guys to play to win, you know he's the right coach. I mean, uh, you you again you know a little bit better. You can talk about the growth in Randall's game and whether anybody else has taken a, a step. You know this guy quickly uh, seemed to have it going early on. Um, I don't maybe because he isn't playing hard on the defensive end. That's why he's not getting more minutes on the court. But I think he's he's a good development coach. I think that was always, you know, undervalued because everyone was focused on focused on his fiery attitude and running guys into the ground. But, you know, he did develop he does develop good players. No, Steve, he does. And I think he's actually done a pretty good job with that, to be totally honest with you. And I like that he calls timeouts. You know, <laughs> Steve Nash. He called a timeout, and everyone was like, whoa, he called a timeout. He, he runs it like it's Chuck Daly's dream team. You know, that you know, I'm going to let these guys play through it because they got more talent. So at least Thibodeau, he's, uh, 
he, he he'll call timeout at the appropriate moments when he sees that you know a couple possessions didn't go the right way and and he, you know he sees a swing momentum needs to be halted he'll call timeouts Nash no you know, play let these guys play through it Thibodeau is the king of the I'm angry you just let somebody wide open hit a shot I'm calling timeout so I can yell at you timeout he yeah. loves those. Yeah, and that the Nets have higher expectations right now. Yes, slightly. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the the question for them is, can they get together? You mentioned about uh, Toppin having pre- not having practiced. Nobody is practicing. They're playing, you know, five games in seven days. And that's that was the Nets' third game in four nights in a back to back. I didn't think they would win any back to backs, uh, any back to back sweeps. But thank God Kevin Durant played tonight. Um, Anyway, so the point is that the Nets have this guy, Nick Claxton, who was their second-round pick uh, last year. He's been out. He, he was supposed to be, like, week to week. He's been out the whole season. And they keep saying, like, well, we got to see him practice. They never practice. When they have, like, a quote-unquote practice, it's really just a film session because the, all the days off are really just healing days. You know, you want to you know, go to the facility, get treatment, watch film maybe do a little individual work. You're not practicing five on five and installing anything and having contact. So it's, it's going to be harder for a lot of these guys to come back in my opinion. Yeah. And I think it's a challenge for the whole league right now. And Steve, how would you handicap the East? I'm curious as someone that's around the nets, the way you are. And now they have three stars, you know, you have the Celtics, the Raptors, obviously you have fallen apart. The Bucks are the Bucks? You kind of know what they are built around Giannis. How do you handicap the East now with the Nets after making this big-time trade? If Durant is healthy, it all comes down to him. If Durant is healthy and he looks great, you know, they're the favorites, in my opinion, because, you know, James Harden is, you know, a secondary can be a secondary scorer on this team. Think about that. James Harden, you know, Kyrie Irving, it doesn't have to doesn't have to have any pressure on him whatsoever. You know, he can just be the ambassador of good vibes, you know, whenever he comes back. You know, he's he's still a brilliant ball handler. I mean, the games that he's played, he's just been marvelous. And the you know, the scoring efficiency, you know, even defends in key possessions. So, you know, if they have all these guys healthy, I think they're the favorites in the East. Uh, I think Milwaukee is going to be really, really good in the regular season. I don't know that they solve their playoff issues where everybody just builds a wall around Giannis and says someone else beat us or make Giannis shoot from deep, shoot free throws. So Milwaukee, uh, you know, unless Coach Budenholzer has seen the light and has decided that, you know, we're not going to just play the analytic way, you know, when there's a one possession game of a playoff of a key playoff game, you know, we got to, you know, if the mid-range shot is there, you got to take it. You know, that type of strategy allows teams to defend Giannis a certain way. So uh, I don't think, I'm not sure about Milwaukee. Toronto looks like they've taken a step back. I was worried about them because they're just so tough. Miami, to me, you know, is is tough. And Philadelphia, I was worried if they got Harden. I'm not so worried now. Um because I think there's an issue between Simmons and Embiid. The fact that they wouldn't get Ty Lue because Ty Lue had at the time the same agent as Ben Simmons and that bothered Embiid, that just tells you 
everything you need to know about that situation. And I don't know why uh, ownership wouldn't let Maury trade Simmons for Harden. You would consider Miami to be the biggest threat then based on your answer? Yeah, just because just the way they play. I mean, they're just so tough. They're like Toronto was before they lost Kawhi. You know, as long as Jimmy Butler is healthy, they have a player who knows how to get buckets in the fourth quarter. Uh, This guy, Tyler Hero, is pretty good. Bam Adebayo is a game-changing two-way player. Um, And they just develop guys to fill in at certain spots when if someone else is having a down day. Do you think the NBA will have to take some type of pause this season to deal with COVID? Or do you think they're going to figure out a way to battle through and get in or around 72 games like they planned? I think they will extend the season because there'll be games that will be postponed and have to be made up. That's why they only did a 30, what was it? 36 game announced schedule. Every team is playing 36 games because they know that there will be games that have to be canceled and have to be tacked on at the end of the year. I think the dream was that to have everybody available for the Olympics, I think that will have to go by the wayside. Here's a question. Do they extend the season or do they take a little bit of a hit and say, all right, well, we know we're not going to be able to make up, you know, four games from the Celtics, whatever, and they can only get to 68. Well, then maybe they only schedule the season to 68 then. And they reduce the workload a little bit because my understanding is the players association, the Olympics is very important to them. And I'd be surprised if they would agree to something that would remove their players from that competition. Well, the reason that 70 games is the, is the landmark is to do with the regional cable contracts. That's why there were eight games in the bubble. They really didn't have to play many games in the bubble, regular season games in the bubble, but they needed to get to 70. They needed all those extra teams to get to 70 to satisfy those contracts. So if, if that's still the same, you know, the players are going to have to decide, are we going to, you know, the the 25 to 30 players who are playing in the Olympics, are we going to try to satisfy them? Or are we going to get billions of dollars? Well, hundreds of millions of dollars from the regional cable companies, you know, and, and be able to distribute that instead of taking it out of the salary cap. Interesting. All right, Steve, I'm going to bring you back to our old school ways here and we're going to have a little bit of fun. So for the Nick fans, and I promise you, I will not do this all season, but I thought the Knicks basically dropped themselves out of postseason. If the season would have ended today, the Knicks dropped out of the postseason and they've dropped all the way down to the seventh spot at tankathon.com. So if you had to predict right now, Steve, based on the NBA standings, bring them up on your computer, your phone, wherever you're at. Take a look. Oh, my God. Where do you think, when all is said and done, the Knicks land in terms of competing for maybe one of the playing spots, which they're still very much in the mix for, or where they land at the bottom of the standings in terms of worst record in the league? Where do you think, when all is said and done, the Knicks wind up at the end of the year? I think they'll be one of the bottom teams. I think they'll be – competing for the 10th slot, but Tom Thibodeau is not going to let them tank and tanking really hasn't done much for anybody. You know, the, well, they've been tanked. I mean, they just have been bad. (laughs) Well, I, I think they're going to come. There'll be nights where they come on to teams that aren't looking at them and looking past them and they'll beat them because they do play hard. And sometimes that's all that matters. So if I had to guess, 
They'll compete for the 10th seed. Final two things, Steve, before we say goodbye. If there's one move you would like the Nets to make before the end of the year, I know it's tough to say now because you haven't seen what they look like with these three guys on the roster together. But what are you keeping an eye on or thinking about for how the, how the Nets can try to round out this roster in the final you know, 65 games of the year? Well, again, I think it all comes down to the buyout market. I mean, if there was anything they could do right now, you know, maybe they sign like a Jamal Crawford to get like a, a scorer off the bench type thing, uh, you know, because they lost Levert. You know, someone who, you know, who could be okay being the 12th or 13th guy. And, you know, if Kyrie is out, he's a guy who could step in and, you know, play 15 minutes and, you know, and give you a, give you a little bit of juice on the offensive end. That until we know who's available in the buyout market, you know, I, I really have no clue. Uh, I do expect that the Nets will be active there. And I do think that Marks is saving that mid-level exception uh, for it. Um, again, it, it's just too soon to know who the right player is. You know, you, there's not going to be another mega deal. You know, from Bradley Beal will go somewhere else. Um, Oladipo is, has already landed somewhere else. So I, I do think though, that their focus should be on defense and rebounding. I, one of the biggest disappointments to me of the Harden trade was that they weren't able to finagle a way to get PJ Tucker. Yeah, that's the type of player they need. Someone who do all the dirty work that you know Harden and Irving and sometimes even Durant. Because uh, I'll just let me segue to that Durant. You know he he should get a ton of rebounds, and for a long time he wasn't because he's so used to leaking out on fast breaks and thinking that you know his big man would grab all the rebounds, and the Nets were getting pounded on the boards, and Durant was out at half court waiting for a fast break that never came. He's doing much better with that now. But anyway, defense and rebounding, that's what they need. They need more help on wing defenders because Timothy Luwawo Cabarro is, is, is just not the answer. I mean, he's another guy, good young player to have as your 11th, 12th, 13th guy, not the guy you want to see guarding, you know, Jimmy Butler down the stretch of a playoff game. You know, it's funny, Steve. There's actually a pretty good fit. If the Knicks do to try to try to unload some of their like veteran role players at some point, like all jokes aside, like a guy like Nerlens Noel as your backup big, a guy like Reggie Bullock as a guy that can shoot a three and defend a little bit on the wing, and they have low enough salaries where they could fit into that Dimwitty injury exception if the Knicks Nets want to trade a couple of their twos or something like that. It actually could be a fit if you think about it. Well, Bullock more than Noel. They, the Nets don't need another guy who can't shoot. Uh, they, you know, they could. They played Reggie Perry there today, and he was fine. I mean, against most backups, all they need him to do is defend and rebound. You know, he's not going to score a ton. He had double figures today, but normally he's not going to score a ton. And you know, they'll have Nick Claxton back. So I don't think they need a guy who who doesn't shoot. I do think they do. They need the PJ Tucker type. Um, you know, Trevor Ariza, uh, is a, is a guy to watch on the buyout market. Uh, someone like that, someone who was a real three and D specialist, not a full one like TLC. All right, Steve, final thoughts. Anything else you got you want to ask me that you're thinking about before we, uh, say adios for now? <laughs> Off the air, I do because I, I, I have some uh, questions about the Jets. Uh, but for as for now, my last, my, Last point I'd make to you is that, you know, 
coaching matters and the fact that they hired Steve Nash, I think that is as, almost as big a risk as what they just took for James Harden. You feel better uh, about it since D'Antoni's next to him though? Does that at least make you feel better about it? No, because, <laughs> because it's really comes from the head coach. The, he had tremendous amount of buy-in at the start because he comes in with hall of fame credentials, two time MVP already has worked with Kevin Durant in the past, you know, knows Irving well, but that only works until, you know, they started losing a bunch of games and you could see the frustration building on Kyrie and Kevin Durant's faces when they were losing at the end of games to like Memphis and Charlotte, you know, this was only like the, the, their second win against the sub-500 team. They've done very well against really good teams like Denver and Philly and Boston, but they've really struggled um, in, in games against uh, what would be worse opponents, games that they should win. And I think that when Sean Marks hired Steve Nash, I personally think that he disrespected what coaching means that uh, this idea that all he has to do is be a communicator. Like he, or he brings calm across the room and, and that that's it. It doesn't matter, you know, how you think like it, it, you know, it should be like a chess mess. That's, that's how the Thibodeaux work. That's how Spolster works. And by the way, those guys never played in the NBA and it didn't matter. And it doesn't matter. They're still good coaches. So to me, that's what I'd like to leave you with. And if the Nets don't win, if this doesn't work out, a large part of the blame will go to Sean Marks hiring his friend Steve Nash instead of like a Ty Lue or a Tom Thibodeau. Well, Steve, all I can say in regards to the Nets finally getting a win against a bad team is you're welcome. (laughs) Much appreciated, John. And so is this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to talk to you, Steve. Happy that you and the family are doing well. Hopefully we'll be out of this mess in, in short order and we can see each other and actually do one of these in person or something close back simile to that. Uh, but in the meantime, let's say goodbye. And of course, folks, as a reminder, you can listen to both the Bank Shot My Knicks podcast and the City Game podcast, Steve's podcast on radio.com, WFN.com, and your favorite podcast platforms. For Steve, I'm Schmelk. Thanks so much for being with us. Stay safe out there, everybody. We'll see you next time. Well, that was fun. Thanks again to John Schmelk, my former co-host here on the City Game Podcast, who now does the Nick-centric Bankshot Podcast. I'm forever grateful for all the help he gave me when I took this podcast solo a couple years ago. Just a terrific person, not just a terrific voice. So just to reiterate the big stuff, Look, you know, the Nets are going for it. And when you do that, it's a results-oriented business. And if the Nets end up winning an NBA championship in the next two years, it was worth it. Anything less, especially if the second half of this decade goes down like the last one, and yeah, this will live in infamy like the 2013 Kevin Garnett-Paul Pierce deal. And again, you know, what bothered me wasn't so much about what the Nets gave away, but what they didn't get. I mean, we all knew which players would have their bags packed since this offseason began. You know, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, they were all on the block. Everyone knew it. And of course, the fact that Houston didn't want any of those players, 
it says a lot about how we as fans overrate these players that we root for. You know, we also knew that getting a player of Harden's caliber would require a boatload of picks. However, what's what they didn't get. They didn't get protections on any of the picks. Especially those like six and seven years down the road. You'd think they would have learned their lessons from 2013. Even if all the principals, including the owner, are no longer around. They should have insisted on P.J. Tucker. You know, he also supposedly wants out of Houston. Nets need people like that to do the dirty work. Right now, you know, they not only didn't address any of their areas of weakness, you know, the defense and rebounding, they amplified them. You know, they're not going to play the Knicks every night. Other teams can make their open shots. Like I said to John, I doubt Sean Marks was sitting in his office thinking, hmm, you know what we really need? More scoring. When you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and you surround them with good shooters, you have enough scoring to win. But what about defense? You know, defense impacts games a hell of a lot more in the playoffs than it does in the regular season because possessions are magnified especially those in crunch times. And the way the Nets play, with constant switching, you can't just hide your weaker defenders. They're going to be hunted. You know, after the Nets got thumped by Oklahoma City last Sunday, I asked Steve Nash about that very issue, and here's his response. Hi, Steve. Uh, some of the defensive issues are occurring uh, when opponents are hunting mismatches, off switches, uh, you know, the staying in front of people, defensive rebounding. As a coach, do you have to find adjustments for countermeasures? Hmm. Sure, of course. We're always looking to adjust. But, you know, yesterday, watching the tape, it wasn't, oh, they hunted the mismatch and and, and that guy can't guard that guy. It, much of the, as m- More often than not, it was a breakdown. It was we didn't have the discipline to stay down. We didn't have the discipline not to reach. So, um, you know, it's a it's a such a strange year, and that I, I think we're I can't remember from day to day because everything's happening so fast. But I think we're around sixth in defense, and so, you know, here we are uh, five and six, but with a six rated defense, um, plenty of work to do though. So, you know, you're always looking to find the best measure for your team to find continuity and consistency, but you have to be ready to react and you have to be able to adjust. And I think last night. You know, it's tough. Do you make an adjustment or do you clean up the glaring error of just not taking enough pride and sticking to uh, your man and and having the discipline not to to bail him out? So I kind of agree with some of what Nash said, but let's understand what, you know, he talked about the Nets defensive rating. Yes, they were eighth after the OKC game. But, you know, that included the first two games where the Warriors and Celtics missed a ton of open looks. You know, in the nine subsequent games, Nets were 19th in defense, you know, which kind of makes sense. And, you know, really, that kind of laissez-faire attitude hung over the team through the first half of the Nuggets game on Tuesday. You know, Denver put up 70 points like they were the old Doug Moe Nuggets from the 1980s. Got anything they wanted especially when Nikola Jokic had the ball in his hands. After that, though, you know, who knows what turned the tide. I mean, other than KD willing the team to a victory they had no business winning. And you folks know what I mean. The the guy is just amazing. 
one rebound away from a triple-double. You know, I didn't watch him night in and night out when he was in Oklahoma City and Golden State. I have to imagine you know, where he's at now, post-Achilles surgery. Can't possibly be that far off from where he was. He's averaging just under 30 points a game, and you know, his shooting split, 53.7% from the field, 46.2% from three, and almost 86% from the free throw line. You know, he's arguably the Nets' best defender. Or he's definitely their smartest defender. You heard him last night yelling at his teammates, you know, stay home, don't help. Think about this, folks. This time last year, KD's position was filled by Torian Prince. And that was considered an upgrade over the poo-poo platter of power forwards who manned the spot the year before. So, you know, about that missed triple-double, you know why KD was one rebound short? Because the Nets inserted a real dog into their starting lineup. And I'm, of course, referring to Bruce Brown. You know, I said this in a recent pod. But boy, do I love how Brown really gets after loose balls. Had six rebounds versus the Nuggets and then grabbed 14 against the Knicks. He's listed at six feet four. Even when Harden arrives, Nets gotta find some way to keep Brown in the lineup. Even if it means having Joe Harris come off the bench. Here's a clip of DeAndre Jordan talking about Brown after last night's game. Uh, DeAndre, uh, Bruce Brown uh, has been inserted in the starting lineup, and I believe the team is like 4-1 and one when he starts. Can you talk about the impact he's had? I mean, he had 14 rebounds today. Yeah, yeah. Um, he stole a lot of rebounds from Kevin. Um, so, no, I'm just kidding. Bruce, is, he's, he's electric, man. He, his, his defense is great. He comes in there and gives us a huge spark. On both ends of the floor, you know, he picks guys up. He's he's extremely physical. He, um, you know, I'm I'm glad that he's on our team. Uh, he's a pest on defense, and uh, you know, offensively he gets downhill. He creates uh, a lot of pressure uh, on the defense, and he's making shots. He's making floaters, making the right basketball plays, and you know, it's only going to go up for here from him. Again, that was net center DeAndre Jordan on Bruce Brown. Like I said in the clip, Nets are 4-1 and one in games Brown starts. Small sample? Yeah, absolutely. But I still say the rotation should be Kyrie, Brown, Harden, KD, and Jordan starting, with Harris, Green, and TLC the only ones guaranteed playing time off the bench. And to get to a 10-man rotation, Nash can decide between Landry Shaman and Tyler Johnson for one spot, and Nick Claxton or Reggie Perry for the big at the other. And that's before we even find out what Marks does with the three open roster spots created by the Harden trade. So, yeah, you know, the next few days, they're going to be filled with anticipation. As I'm recording this, the trade still hasn't been officially announced, and we have no idea when Harden can join the team, you know, due to all the COVID protocols. And we still don't know anything about what's up with Kyrie. Still... The feeling is that all three superstars will be on the court wearing Nets uniforms fairly soon. And that, fellow Nets fans, that's going to be special. Also special was my sidekick for most of the episode, the talented John Schmelk, the host of the Bank Shot podcast on this website. Thank you again, John, for helping me out with the show today. And I'll be back sometime next week to talk about how all this madness is working out. And I'll also include your questions for a listener mailbag segment. Kind of owe you one. 
So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.